Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's not first on this podcast to have somebody who's still alive. But I think this time it's probably the best because it's me, Michael fucking Kane. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Thank you. Thank you so much. And tonight I'm here to tell you folks about a movie I was in called Alfie. Now, if you watch this movie today... It's going to be a bit weird, be a bit silly. You see, when you look at the 2020 lens, things look, uh, things look different back then. Back when they used to treat ladies wrong. Yes, right, it was bad, it was real bad. But it's what we did at the time, because it was fun. No, 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 that is, you do not applaud that. That's not correct. That's not how we do things anymore. But... I think it's important for you as an audience to, to watch this movie and understand it as we did back then and maybe you get an insight into what it meant to be a guy like me in those days. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, I don't know if that was really warranting applause, but anyways, this time, today, I am introducing you to the movie Alfie and who's going Don't boo the movie! You haven't even fucking watched it yet! I mean, maybe you have. You, well, well, I'm, all right, that's better. That's a lot better. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, today's discussion. It's very difficult when you're older. <laughs> this always happens uh, these days, and I try. I try very hard. Mm. And it smells real bad. Look, you people in the front row, you maybe you know. No. <laughs> thank, I mean, thank you. I mean. Uh, I don't pride myself on my farting ability, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, now the smells hit you. Exactly. That's what would fucking happen, wouldn't it? Anyways, yeah, it's going again. Before I shit myself, I just want to say uh, enjoy Brendan and Jason from the podcast for Screen and Country talking about me movie. Thank you, and have a wonderful day. That's right. That's me ride. I'm out. Holy shit. That was fun. That was a fun visit from Michael Caine. I don't know why we have an audience. No, yeah, that was sudden, weird. But I mean, would you even want an audience in here all the time? Well, yeah. Oh, now they're booing us. See, oh, fuck this. They're booing Shakespeare. Now they're happy. We can't have these. We can't have these sound effects. <laughs> sound effects? What are you talking about? Oh, I mean the audience. We can't have the audience. Now, they are all wearing masks, but they are all very close together. So, mm. Mm, half, a, half one way or the other.
Well, Jason, I mean, it's great that they're they're wearing masks. I don't think it's the smartest thing for them to have holes where their mouths are, though. No, no. I mean, we we can understand them better, but so be it. Yeah. (laughs) That's their risk, not ours. Uh, This is a podcast. It is. It's called For Screen. And Country. And I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. And we talk to you folks every week. For the most part, this is what we do. Yeah. We talk about, uh, each week we talk about a film off the British Film Institute Top 100 British Films of All Time. We've covered uh, a, a little bit over 50 now, or we're past the halfway mark. Yeah. I believe this is episode 55. Damn. I can't get 55! I, I, I believe the line is, I cannot drive 55. Well, I, I can't drive anyway. I just can't get 55. Like, 55-year-old women you, are not attracted to me, Jason. Oh, I, I thought you meant you just didn't understand the concept of 55. Like, that specific number is something you your mind has trouble with. Uh, all my time at, on albinoblacksheep.com, I only <laughs> understand 55. <laughs> That's a joke I don't get. That's right. Thank you. Thank oh, maybe the audience come back. <laughs> They're going to be here the whole time because we are doing our very first live show from savannah georgia deep in the south it is hot it is sweaty and we're here to have a good time well i think uh, quite frankly you're all losers that's right yeah you love it you love it you love the abuse you just love that i'm addressing you that's um right. <laughs> wow this is gonna be weird what you heard it you can't complete your call oh okay well i guess i won't call uh this the senator of uh, Tennessee. I, I assumed you were going to call David Letterman's mom. No. No? Is she still living? Uh, I mean, you can still call her. Jason, we should probably talk about what we're doing this week. Oh, which is the <laughs> same thing we do every week, Pinky. Talk about a British film. That's correct. It's four screen, four screen, and con, 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 tree. No, we're done. Da, no, da. no, no, you don't like that. That's Hello, bad. Ohio. Stop it. Fucking you, you people are the worst. <laughs> Jesus, this is the most time we've wasted. Uh, um, we love it. <laughs> we are talking about a little film this week. But before we talk about this little film, we need to read some comments about last week's movie. Alfie. Alright, that sound can only mean one thing, Jason. It's time to read some sexy comments about Alfie. Ooh, we are so gonna get copyright struck, Brendan. Why do you keep greasing up your thigh? (laughs) Because I'm pretty sure that was straight careless whisper. That was just what that was. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I'll just say this, Jason. I'll just say this. Multiple people can have soundboards. Yeah. We're going to read some comments about last week's film. Uh, sorry, last week's film. Oh, okay. Um, Alfie. I'm going to start us off here, Jason, because we have one of our favorite commenters here. She, she comes to us every week, almost every week. Uh, Sharon Horwat says, I haven't seen it. But I do think it's funny how Jude Law has managed to remake two classic Michael Caine movies, Alfie and Sleuth. Hmm. So what's the next one? Zulu? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, well, it was, wait, wait, wait. Was Jude Law and the Four Feathers? Hold on a second. Or was that Heath, that was Heath, Ledger. Heath Ledger? Hold on a second. If they remake Zulu, Jude Law will have to play a villain. You yeah. can't get away with that anymore. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, it'd be hard to make Zulu uh, today with the British being like the, soup, like the super good guys. 
Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, Alfie and Sleuth. I think Michael Caine's also in the remake of Sleuth as well. I'm pretty sure. Oh, well, I mean, I could be. Why wouldn't he? He he likes a he likes a he likes a bit of crumpet as much as the next guy. I you know? know he's in the remake of Get Carter as well. Yeah. Again, says, hey, hey, what are you, my Mikey, you want to be in the movie with me? Does it pay? Yeah, yeah, fucking pay. Then I'll do it. That's exactly what happened. Stallone sounded a little British in there. No, yeah, I was, I was hanging out with Michael Gunn, you know, I thought I'd try it out. But, but you know, it just it doesn't really suit me. But I like doing it because it sounds fun, because it makes me sound like a milk panty. Sylvester, I appreciate your effort. But yeah. Kindly, fuck off. Well, you know, it's not why I got up this morning. Stop wearing here. Brit face. Oh, hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey. What do we say when we fall down? Hey. We get back up. Wait, what? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I was a Judge Dredd. I get that. Carry on. I've got to go do some press for Jaws 4. All right. Goodbye. <laughs> I think he was mocking him. I think that's why Stallone was talking with a British accent. Oh, what does Christian Zafiroglu say? Christian says, Kane became a star for a reason. He is charming, sure, but he's a cad too. And has anyone ever used Ponchi with more humor? Oh, <laughs> shit. This was not on stereo. God damn it. This was not on stereo the whole time. No. Why'd you change it? I suppose you recorded by well, yourself. Well, because... Because it sound better. I would just like to apologize for a moment. I just had to switch the audio channel from mono to stereo. So now it will sound much better. Thank you for your patience. All right. Here's take two of Christian's letter. Christian says, Dear Casey, Kane became a star for a reason. He is charming for sure, but he's a cad too. And has anyone ever used Ponchi with more humor? It's a dynamite film, if a little dated. Mm, that's to say the least. The title song, Oof. And there's a swinging London feel that gives the film a time-gone-by look. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that end of it. But the abortion scene is crushing, and Kane deserved every inch of the Oscar he didn't get. Who won? Lee Marvin for Cat Blue. Unbelievable. I don't even know that movie. I mean, I know Lee Marvin. Lee Marvin's fucking great, but mm -hmm. seriously, better than better than that? I don't know. I, don't I, know. Still, I still argue the dated thing. I think the movie knows that he's not in the right at every yeah, step Yeah, no, I, it does know, but I don't think it sees it to the same level that we do. And I mean, that's, and, and, hey, that's fine. That's a different in eras and perception, but, I like, think it does. I just think it doesn't spoon feed it. No, no, certainly not. We'll, we'll, we'll stay, uh, we'll stay yeah. on opposite sides of this debate, Jason. But I want to say that Marcy Rodenborn says it was far more nuanced than I expected. He was actually struggling to express feelings that didn't jive with his swinging persona. He grew genuinely attached to his boy, but his lack of ability to commit led to him losing him when the mom married someone else. He had feelings for Shelley Winters, and the abortion scene is heart-tending. Heart I think she meant heart-wrenching. I think autocorrect fucked you on that. No, it's all good, Marcy. We get what you're saying. We get, we get what you mean. Yeah. Either, either way, yeah, that is a rough scene. Uh... The, the Shelley Winters thing is a great piece of comeuppance, even though it's totally minor in, in the grand scheme of the shitty things he's done. It still is quite satisfying, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? It's great. But yeah, uh, yeah, and, and he does genuinely grow attached to that boy, but obviously has no real interest in committing to being a dad, like to actually being there and wants to doing do the, the work. He wants to do the fun dad Exactly. Stuff. He wants to play. Uh, I'm pretty sure we talked about that then. Susan Hubschman Sinowski says... And I apologize if that's not correct. The original full version has the scenes in the sanitarium, which add context to the later scenes. The shorter version is the one shown more often on TV. I wrote. I, I interesting. I saved that one because I was like, I can't imagine this movie without those scenes because mm. that's they're pretty important to the 
plot. But you know TV cuts, Brendan. You've you've probably heard the story of the Brazil TV cut and how terrible it was. And I've now, heard obviously that that's a have, bit more. Have I heard of it, Jason? That's our longest episode. Yeah, it's a well. two-hour <laughs> episode that we recorded. I think I know what you're talking about. But you didn't actually watch that cut, did you? Mm-mm. Okay. Well, it. I mean, yeah, it's not really worth watching, but it is a fascinating. Actually, it is worth watching because the Criterion version of it has commentary by a film historian who talks about the different cuts that were made and all that. So that's the only way it's worth watching. But we're not talking about Brazil. We're talking about Alfie. I Brendan. want to see the Marty Scorsese cut of Brazil. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Make that happen, okay? Let him have a run. Give him the film stock and let him take a run at it. Yeah. Yeah. Make make it make it happen. I want <laughs> lots of diegetic music. Wouldn't that be a fun show if you could get like a bunch of like famous directors and give them, you know, the same I don't know. Scene? An hour's worth of footage and have them cut out a fucking short film or something out of it. Yeah. Or I guess the best editors in Hollywood would even be a better show. It wouldn't be it wouldn't sell as much because you couldn't have Steven Spielberg on there. Is there any editors that are like Big names? I bet you in the business there are. But like uh, to anyone else? Oh, no. Certainly okay. not. Maybe because because the best thing about, well, not the best thing, but the thing about an editor is if they're doing their job, you never know they exist because it's, it's only when the movie's edited terribly, you're like, what the fuck was this editor doing? Like, <laughs> Well, no, but I mean like... It's like, it's like, it's like you don't notice like, the editing, but I think you could still notice the person that's doing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the sense that most things in movies, it's like you, you don't notice the stuff specifically unless it's bad. Sally Menke, one of the best editors. Yes. Quentin Tarantino's editor sure. until oh, she passed it. away. Oh. Yeah. Did he do it? Uh, I can't speak on that for legal reasons. Okay. Andy Utek says, A friend of mine owns a pub with many, many movie, po- movie posters on the walls. Alfie is so prominent that I had to make the effort to find and watch it. I thought it was probably a product of its time. I admire the attempt to deal with the swinging 60s in London. It stands out among British sex, co- sex comedies, but I don't think it's really for me. Understandable. Also, if you're going into this looking for a sex comedy, yeah, you're, you're sorely disappointed. I don't know what you're talking about. That was hilarious. <laughs> it was a romp. <laughs> It's like a, d- a great double header. You, you do Meatballs and then you do Alfie. <laughs> and then Meatballs Part 2. Yeah. Because you need a break from the hilarity. That's right. You need a break from the hilarity with Alfie and that abortion in the middle. <laughs> Alfie and the abortion Alfie in the middle. The, that's that that's the, sequel? the sequel, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. okay. It's lesser I, known. I now, Michael Caine's actually in that one. I thought it was... <laughs> Wait, so it's like a James Bond situation where they made Alfie Darling. Yeah, it's an unofficial Alfie, yeah. Alfie Darling is canon, Yeah, but the one with Michael Caine. Yeah, it was based on, a, on, a, on an unpublished Playboy short story, and <laughs> okay. uh, that's why they're allowed to do it. That's why the plot like seemed stretched out oh, a little yeah, bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. no it, was, it was a ten-minute plot stretched right. to two and a half hours. They fucked in the first two minutes, and then the rest of it was like him just walking around it's town. a lot of regret. <laughs> kind of like life. All right, Adam Juris, or Juris, or Adam Hures, says, I watched this just last night. Hey, thanks for watching it. And can say I really enjoyed the film way more than I expected. Kane plays Alfie great, with a great amount of charm, wit, and despicability. It was more serious than I imagined it could be, which I did think it does well. My one large complaint is all the fourth wall breaking, which I think works in smaller amounts. Here it becomes unbearable at points. Now, I get that. It doesn't bother me, though. Like, I, I feel like this movie was probably an early pioneer of that technique. Now, certainly that technique has existed forever, but, like, this feels like this would have felt like cutting-edge cinema in the 60s when they were doing it this way. I think the other movie I really like it in is uh, High Fidelity. Yeah. Which I'm real curious as to how that ages today. And I, I of course, am an unabashed Fight Club fan, and yeah. I like how that uh, Have you ever seen that. High Fidelity? Oh, no, I saw High Fidelity, okay. but it's been a long time. It's John Cusack, right? Mm-hmm. And Jack Black? Yeah, yes. and Joan Cusack's in it too, and I'm like, are they going to hook I up? Often, I often confuse it somewhat with uh, Empire Records. They're going to hook up John and Joan, the directors that decided to play a prank on them. Do you know who I always confuse, Brendan? 
Lee Marvin and Lee Van Cleef. I don't think I could rec- I could point out either of them. Well, Lee Marvin, I think, was the Wolf Man, and he's this he's this greasy, gritty old man who talks like they got a great you know. Uh, and then, and then Lee Van Cleef is a really tall, skinny like um, cowboy from uh, Good. To, uh, yeah, he was in the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and he's he's kind of got a voice like this, and he's very tall. He's a, he's the bad guy in um, bad guy. He's the bad guy in uh, Escape from New York. I don't remember that movie. Oh, uh, he was American Ninja. He was a ninja in a TV show that was very short lived. Okay. Yeah, you, you know them. You you know him. You, sure. You, you see his face. I'll show you sometime. Uh, uh, all right. What's uh, what do we got next here? Do we got from Lucy Laplaca? <clears throat> Alfie was one of the movies that made me realize that Michael Caine was once young. I thought it was surprisingly thoughtful and nervy, but packing polish. I ended up watching a bunch of his films. Nice. I saved this last one because uh, it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty negative one here. Corey Buckler says, I watched this movie for the first time last year, and even removing the disgusting sexism, it's just a bad movie. I honestly didn't find anything redeeming about it. Even Michael Caine's charm just came off as slimy and horrid. Hard pass. Totally understandable point of view, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I will debate all day whether the movie is actually uh, ahead of its time or not. But, uh, yeah. No, I'd get the other side, of course. Yeah, for sure. It could be a tough watch if you're not prepared for it. Jason, our final thing we do here is compare the this film yes. to the same number on the AFI Top 100, the American Film Institute Top 100 list. Alfie is number 33 on the BFI Top 100. Number 33 on the AFI Top 100 is... One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I haven't seen it. Oh, so I guess Alfie by default. Alfie by default. I'm. It's one of those movies that I am utterly familiar with. Broadly from pop culture, mm-hmm. because it is such a, an important movie that's been referred to a million times. And I've seen the Simpsons episode. Uh, and also, the lady that plays Nurse Ratchet, I know most famously uh, for playing Kai Wynn. Uh, Kai Wynn? Yeah, Kai Wynn on uh, DS9, the leader of the Bajoran religion. And she's wonderfully slimy and greasy on that show. Just like me right now. That's right. We're all slimy and greasy, Brendan. We're, we're sitting on the edge of a thunderstorm here. I'm going to give it to Alfie. Oh. It's close. One Flew, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest this is a great movie, but I, I don't know. I was just kind of so blown away by uh, by this one. I can only think of The Simpsons. <laughs> this is Chief. He doesn't speak. Hi, Chief. Hello. <laughs> what? Nobody ever asked me before. <laughs> That's happens in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a very quick resolution. <laughs> So that having been said, Jason, we need to move on. We need to talk about this week's film. We need to talk about The Servant. Jason, this week we're talking about number 22 on the BFI Top 100, and it is called The Servant. It was released in 1963, directed by Joseph Losey, who we've talked about before when we talked about The Go-Between. This film stars Dirk Bogard, who we remember from Darling. Yes. He plays Hugo Barrett, the servant, uh, the titular servant. Yes. The. Um, He's the servant. (laughs) He is the servant, guys. Do you remember the part where he looks in the camera and goes, I'm the servant? I remember the part where he says, I'm not a servant. Oh, yeah. Well, which is, which is weird, contrary to the premise of the film. But we'll, get, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to it. 
We also have James Fox mm. back again. We talked about him not that long ago. Yeah, he was in um, Remains of the Day. Remains of the Day, absolutely. Playing a similar role. Yes, but much younger. Much younger, but also a man who hires a servant. Yeah. Uh, but he plays Tony. Mm. Uh, Sarah Miles, who we talked about just, I think, three or four episodes ago when we talked about Hope and Glory. Oh, right. She was the mother, and she was also in, uh, she was also in um, Blow Up. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. Knew she uh, looked familiar. She plays Vera. Mm-hmm. We have Wendy Craig playing Susan Stewart. We have another returning person here, Catherine Lacey, in a very, very brief role, uh, playing Lady Mounset. She is. Uh, she was also in oh, is Whiskey she the, Galore. Is she the lady with the old husband when they go to visit? She Yes, yeah. she's in Whiskey Galore, and she played uh, Mrs. Waggett. Okay. Yeah. And... This one shocked me. We have the principal from Animal House himself, Richard Vernon, playing Lord Mounset, and he is in this for, I want to say, 45 seconds. Wow. And he is a British man. I had no idea. Yeah, I had no idea. That's what a weird... Yeah, I That is no a idea. revelation. I did not think of the Dean from fucking Animal House when I saw that guy on screen. <laughs> oh, no, me neither. And when I, I saw his name in the credits and, I, and the cast, and I was just like... Who does he play? <laughs> but that scene is uh, like a conservatively a minute and a half to two minutes long. So we that also, I, I didn't anymore. look him up to see where he was from, but I know we've seen him before. Patrick McGee plays the bishop we briefly see in the movie, and he looked really familiar. I got to see where he's from. He was also in uh, Clockwork Orange. Yeah, I think you're right. Clockwork yeah, Orange. Yeah, he was definitely the Clockwork Orange. Yeah. And that's another role that's very brief because essentially this movie is Dirk Bogard, James Fox. Sarah Miles, Wendy Craig. Yeah. Really Dirk Bogart, James Fox, Sarah Miles, for the most part. Yeah. And really Dirk Bogart and James Fox. Yeah. Those, those are the two, the, the core of this movie. Yeah. But Jason, break it down. What is this movie about? This movie is the story of a man who gets hired to be a servant. And so, yeah. That's, the, that's the servant? Yeah, the servant. Okay. Uh, he seems to be like a... I don't know if he's upper middle class or lower upper class. Like, he doesn't seem to be super rich, but rich enough that he's building his own house. James Fox's character, mm. Tony. He seems to be rich enough that he's building his own house, and he decides that he wants to hire a manservant. And so Hugo Barrett applies for the job. And when we see them initially, uh, uh, Tony is sleeping in a chair. <laughs> he has to be woken up. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, I had a couple beers for lunch. Do you drink beer? And he says, no, I don't. So basically, this movie boils down to being the story of him getting hired as a servant, being a servant for Tony, but things start to take a weird turn, and the power dynamic in the relationship shifts considerably over the course of the last uh, bit of the movie. And hilarity ensues. That's right. So yeah, so basically, the movie opens up, he gets hired for this job, and he is hired as a servant. And my initial question is, okay... So, or my initial thought watching this movie, Brandon, I don't know about you, my initial thought watching it is something akin to Remains of the Day, maybe even more, like, schmaltzy. Like, I'm thinking of, like, this young guy hires this guy to be his manservant, and they go many years together, and they become very tight friends, but there's a certain separation because, you know, they're of different classes, and there's dignity and whatever, and then one of them dies, and the movie ends, sadly. Mm. That was kind of what I thought right from that first scene. Like, maybe that's what that's going to be. That's not what it is at all, number one. No. I would actually say this is more akin to a psychological thriller. Yeah, because my next thought, as as the movie goes on, is we see him being the manservant. Now, he's not... He doesn't excel at his job. Merit, no. I would say. He uh, makes some mistakes. He's a bit spotty in it. 
But, so that I guess that led my thought to be, oh, well, maybe he's some sort of scammer. Maybe he's trying to scam Tony in some way uh, out of something. But, but he also is, seems to be far more competent as a manservant than you would expect of someone who was trying to pull a scam. Like either somebody who had done work as a manservant or somebody who was so committed to the scam that they really dug deep and studied into the business of being a manservant. And they know how to do stuff. They're just not great at it. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, so they start to develop this relationship uh, between them. And at first, it's very formal. It's very like, you know, sir. And, and, you know, he's making sure that he always has his beer and all that sort of stuff. But as time goes on, they start to get a little more familiar over mm-hmm. time. Uh, and occasionally, uh, Barrett will make requests of Tony, uh, for time off or whatever. And that sort of culminates. All right. Well, actually, before I get to that, we'll say, so Tony also has a girlfriend of sorts, a beau, a lady that he's seeing, uh, uh, who kind of at first seemed like a sixties Karen by the way she was acting, but also, uh, I guess the movie proves her to be kind of right in the end, but she seems to be kind of a bitch because, She's being real mean to Barrett for no reason. She just gets this weird vibe from Barrett. You know? Yeah. She just she just seems like she's shitty, and and Barrett's not being you know Barrett's not doing anything. He's just doing his job. You know. He does seem to undermine her right from the beginning. Though. Yeah. Well, with the taking the flowers out of his room when he's lying in there. I mean, she, yeah, she leaves flowers yeah, for Tony. But it's it's very subtle and petty and weird. Yeah. His behavior is kind of petty, though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she she merely, she doesn't even say anything to him. She just kind of puts the flowers back in the room. Yeah. Barrett comes in and then casually tries to take them out. And that's when she's like, leave it. Yeah, leave it. Exactly. She has to assert herself. So, yeah. So, eventually this culminates in Barrett asks um, Tony if if he can bring his sister to live with them Mm -hmm. and possibly take a job as a house cleaner. Uh, or housemaid, I guess, would be the position she would be filling. And so Tony kind of hems and haws about it and thinks about it. But then says, yeah, okay, let's let's try it out, I guess. Seems to like Barrett enough to let him do it. So he brings her in. And uh, very quickly, she <laughs> she seduces... Um, Tony. Tony. Uh, and But we very also quickly find out that she is not uh, the sister of Barrett. She is, in fact... Uh, a lover, his, his I guess? His fiance. His fiance, they say. I mean, at this point, who fucking knows, right? Yeah. It's hard to know what's true and what's not. But uh, yeah, the, the, supposedly she's his fiance. And so she goes and starts fucking Edward Fox. James Fox. James Fox. <laughs> Maybe she was fucking Edward Fox. I have no confirmation or denial. You don't know that. what was happening off the set. The Fox estate has, I mean, I guess they're both still alive, but the Fox estate has made no comment on this. We tried. We reached out. Yeah, we reached out. We asked for a, uh, an official comment, and they ignored us. And they said, well, Michael J. could give you a statement. It's like, well, yeah. who does that help? Yeah, exactly. Who does that help? He doesn't know what's going on. He's busy. He's a busy man. He's tied up in family. That's right. He loves his family. You get it? Uh, <laughs> family ties. He has a good show. It takes different strokes. No, it's a different show. It's a different show. So, yeah, so so he ends up, uh, she ends up being the temptress that goes after uh, uh, James Fox, and he succumbs to her feminine wiles mm-hmm. uh, in a very tense scene. Yeah. Uh, uh, with dripping, with a dripping faucet that is clearly his, uh, uh, the head of his penis is being represented by the uh, dripping, sure. I have to assume. Yeah. Because he's, he's literally trying to, like, hold himself back at various points in that scene. She's being all seductive. She gets up on the table, you know, and she doesn't have shoes on. And actually, that's something you'll notice about her because in the 60s, you couldn't actually show people naked. It's just she doesn't wear shoes. And so when she doesn't wear shoes, that's like, oh, fuck, she's naked. 
I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. but I know I'm not wearing shoes right now, so you can just assume that I'm naked. Yeah, I'm sure Jason absolutely. is too. Well, I have socks on, so I'm, well, I'm fully clothed. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that happens, and then we, and then, yeah. So and we're wondering, well, wait, why? So what's their angle? Because we, at this point, we know that she's a fiance to Barrett, mm. and Barrett, see, because when he goes up to get her, when when uh, Tony goes up the stairs and is like, "Let's go downstairs and fuck," she's like, "Okay, one sec." She comes out of the room, and we see Barrett laying in there smoking a cigarette, <laughs> reading a magazine, clearly having just finished her off himself. Um, and so like at that point you're wondering, what's their angle? Like, are they scamming him? What are they trying to, are they trying to blackmail him? Like, or, like, that was what was confusing to me going into that. It's like, what is their game? I couldn't figure it out. And then, so eventually it all comes to a head, right? Because we have, uh, uh, James Fox, uh, Tony, Tony has gone away for the weekend with his bow. They've been, you know, kind of on and off because of the Barrett issue. But uh, so they go off on, on a trip and they come back early. And when they come back early, they walk into the house and can hear uh, Vera and Barrett canoodling upstairs. Mm-hmm. Clearly, clearly they're having some fun. And so they're kind of standing there. And then from our perspective, we see in what has to be one of the most just so awkward scenes in cinematic history is that uh, Barrett, you can see a shadow and it's Barrett walking out from the bedroom, standing there and... James Fox is looking up the stairs. And so you get the impression that, that James Fox is staring right at Barrett and Barrett's staring right back at him. And Barrett, in my mind, is completely naked, standing there smoking a cigarette. And they just stare at each other. And the awkwardness on so many levels, right? Because you've got the awkwardness of the fact that he's discovered his butler is fucking someone. That one is kind of awkward, just right out of the gate. Then you've got the awkward level of that he's fucking who he thinks is, is his sister. <laughs> So that adds an extra layer of awkward to it for James Fox. And then James Fox also has the extra layer of awkward of he also fucked that girl. <laughs> and then we've got the extra awkwardness of of the girlfriend is there. And she just awkward for her in general because of what's going on. And James Fox knows that at some point it's probably gonna come out that he fucked that girl and she doesn't know about it yet. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the by the end of everything that happens, she does know about it. So, of course, they all have a, 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 a jaw in the drawing room. And in this drawing room scene, they all come in there, and there's this beautiful, like, mirrored... Uh, it looks like a mirror, but it's not. It's like rounded. It's like a, a an art piece on the wall. It's mirrored. It's kind of a... Is it conca- concave? Is that when it's rounded like that? I'm and, not sure. I don't know. But anyways, it's reflecting them in the room. And it's just such a beautifully, like, like set-up shot. And we see them have it out and kind of like, what's going on? You, you're committing a crime. You're having sex with your sister. <laughs> and he's like, okay, she's not my sister. Come on down, honey. Tell them. Tell them what I told you. I'm not his sister. We're fiancés. We're going to get married. Uh, and so, yeah. And then it, she kind of makes some comment that makes it clear to the girlfriend that Tony's been fucking her. And he basically tells him to get the fuck out of the house. And so they do. They go upstairs and they're laughing. This is the fucked up part is that we have that. So they go out and we have these two. We have Tony and we have his girlfriend whose name escapes me are in the room together. Susan. Susan. Tony and Susan are in the room together, awkwardly silent as these two go up to like get their shit together and are laughing and carrying on as they're doing it. And Mm -hmm. of course, then Tony puts on a record and kind of turns it up and it goes over top and they sit there and then they come back down and they, and they leave. And then you think it's over. But the movie's still got time left, so it's clearly not. 
And then he like, so at some point, uh, Tony's depressed and he goes to a bar. And while he's at the bar, he's having a drink or whatever. And fucking, uh, fucking Barrett's there. Also having a depressed drink. And they get talking. And he's like, can you just give me another chance, man? And she's gone and it's bad. And man, I just, I'm sorry I made a mistake. I'm so, I'm so sorry. And he's like, please let me try again. And Jace Fox is like, oh, all right. Let's give it another go. And from that point on, it's completely different. Mm-hmm. The dynamic is completely changed because where before you had a man who was acting like a manservant in the traditional British sense of like very deferential, very formal. Um, now James Fox doesn't have a servant; he has a fucking roommate <laughs> because they just they 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 chat as as buddies. They like um, they kind of fight with each other. Um, you know, at one point they start kind of wrestling on the stairs and they have this game where they're throwing a fucking ball at each other. Yeah. And then they start arguing over the rules to this made up game that they're playing on the stairs. And it reminded me of, they're like brothers in that scene. They're like, that's the dynamic that it's become. It's no longer, there's no, the power dynamic completely shifted. They're like brothers and they're fighting with each other over this stupid fucking game that they made up and it, and it doesn't matter. They made it up. So what does it matter what the rules are? Um, until eventually... It, it goes the other way, and Barrett's basically running everything at that point. He's running the show. Uh, he's keeping... Uh, he's basically brought a, a harem. Yeah, he's basically brought a harem into the house. He's keeping uh, uh, Tony drunk. Yeah. Tony wanted to stop drinking, but he's like, oh, I brought you a little bottle of this. You got to try it. You know, just that. And So basically, yeah. And then by the end of the movie, that's where it ends up. It's You've got... Uh, Barrett basically living in and running this house with this harem of girls, keeping James drunk, and they were able to drive away Susan, finally, so that she was no longer a problem. And so Barrett can keep up this charade of a life uh, on uh, uh, Buddy's dime, right? On Tony's dime. And that's the end of it. Like, that's where it goes. And it's like, that was a fucked up psychological scam. Like, it wasn't just like them trying to get money or art or something precious out of him or to blackmail him for some reason. It's like, he's trying to kind of take over his existence. I like how we just went through through the entire movie. Yeah. Well, you said, uh, I guess, yeah. We haven't done that in a while. And I didn't even have notes for it. I just did that off the top of my head. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, but that's kind of the bones of the movie. Um, Well, let's, I want to play two clips in a row here because you talked about how the dynamic changes, right? Yes, yes. I want to play the opening kind of interview some of that yes please do. and i don't want to play the moment that it goes like you said yes. into kind of like roommates absolutely so let's listen to that yeah we can see the the shift in tone here of, of dynamic well now this post what's happening is this i'll be moving into this house in about two or three weeks time and i'm all alone at the moment so i'll be needing a manservant you see i've seen one or two chaps already but uh, they didn't seem very suitable to me somehow. What? Uh, you've had experience of this kind of work, have you? I've been in service for the last 13 years, sir. The last few years, I acted as a personal manservant to various members of the peerage. Oh. I was with uh, Viscount Barr until about five weeks ago. Oh, Lord Barr? My father knew him well. They died within a week of each other, as a matter of fact. So you're free? Yes, I am, sir. Do you like the work? Oh, I do. I I do. I like it very much, sir. Can you cook? Well, it's... uh, 
If I might put it this way, sir, cooking is something in which I take a great deal of pride. Any dish in particular? <laughs> well, my, uh, my souffles have always received a great deal of praise in the past, sir. Do you know anything about Indian dishes? Well, well, a little. Well, I know a hell of a lot. You'd, uh, you'd have to do all the cooking here. That would give me great pleasure, sir. I could have got a housekeeper, of course, look after the place, run the kitchen. But quite honestly, the thought of some old woman running about the house telling me what to do, it rather put me off. Yes, guys. So there's a lot of things in that scene I want to talk about before we just play the comparisons. Yes. Um, the biggest visual thing is that Tony is wearing all light colors yes. and Barrett is dark, dark yes. suit. So, I mean, visually, you're like, you know, good and evil. Kind yeah, of. and well, I mean, of course, James Fox has that blonde hair. Yeah, and and bare, dark Barrett's hair, dark, dark, swarthy, jet black hair. Yeah. Um, another thing too is there he he makes mention of, at the end of that clip of you know I don't want some old woman telling me what to do. That's exactly what's going to happen here. Yeah, he this guy is eventually going to tell him exactly what to do. Yeah, like because as you said, the dynamic completely shifts and. Yeah, I wasn't expecting like I I knew the plot of this movie said servant comes to work for a wealthy man. However, the dynamic begins to change. That was the description that I read. And I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, okay, I'm not sure what that what that means, hmm. but didn't expect this." Yeah, I I didn't even have that going into it. I didn't know anything about this movie. I just went in blind completely. Well, there you go. And wow. And so now let's listen to later on. Yeah. This is right after right after Bear the bar gives that sob story. Yeah. Um uh, about uh, about Vera, his quote unquote sister. Yeah. Uh, but we know his fiance now, or at least that's what they're saying. Yeah. Um, that supposedly left him. Yes. I want to correct myself. Um, this clip does not come after the the bar scene with no. the sob story, but this is actually right after Tony sleeps with Vera uh, yes. when after he gets seduced. Because I think even here you start to see the di- dynamic change. Yeah. Um, he still sounds, Barrett still sounds subservient, but just listen to the kind of way he toys with them a little bit. And then right after this, I do want to play the scene in the stairwell because that's when it's completely changed. Yeah, and also I want to point out that earlier that Barrett had kind of sowed the seeds for this to happen in some way when he had um, been talking to um, Tony and he had said to him, uh, my, uh, Sir, I wanted to bring something up with you. My, my sister's skirts are very short. Yeah. He's like, well, what do you want me to do about it? Yeah, he plants the idea of her yeah. being a sexual object yeah. in Tony's head. Yeah. Which I like, I'm look when I, when the movie was over, I'm thinking back to all this stuff, be like, God damn. Yeah. Like he really is like a like Hannibal Lecter esque yeah, master manipulator. Fucking with him. Yeah. <laughs> um and he even he even sets up a scene where Tony walks into the bathroom and Vera's in there in a towel. Yeah. So he knows that he's planting all these little seeds. It's kind of like the day of the jackal where you see little things happen. You're like, where's that going to pay exactly. off? And, and then you realize. And instead of uh, an assassination, it's uh, the murder of this man's uh, spirit. Right. So this is right after Tony is a little nervous because he slept with Vera and he thinks it's Barrett's sister. So yeah. he's being a little overly kind. Yeah. And Barrett's being a little, because he knows. Because he knows he can get away with it now. Yeah. How's your mother? On the mend, sir. Oh, good. Good. Little Vera wasn't very well then. Well, no. She looked so poorly at the railway station, so I thought it wasn't wise to her to travel. I hope she hasn't been any inconvenience to you. Oh, not at all. No, she hasn't at all. She managed to do anything for you, sir. I beg your pardon? I hope she was well enough to see to your meals. Oh, yes, yes. We, I had lunch. I noticed she didn't do the washing up. 
You're still under the weather, I suppose. Under the what, sir? The weather. Oh, yes. Oh, Barrett, uh, you, you wouldn't like to go to the off-license for me, would you? For a quart of beer? Got rather a thirst. Oh, there's plenty of beer, sir. Yes, I know that. But I want uh, some plain brown ale. Perhaps a certain, sir. So even then, like he makes a lot of like little comments. Like when he says, "Oh, she's under the weather," he intentionally says, "Under what, sir?" Yeah, I thought I thought that was a little sexual reference. Like, yeah, where she she's under something, yeah. sir. Like he knows and he's fucking with them. And then the whole thing at the end where he asks him to get a beer, kind of like well, very. It's uh, to get him out of the house. It's to get him out of the house. But you notice when he asks him, it's very like kind of mousy. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Get some music beer. And, and, and Barrett says, like, you already have beer here. Yeah. He questions like, him a little bit. Well, which, and it's understandable. It's like, there's a fridge full of beer, sir. I can get you one right now. But he's just like, yeah, we got lots of beer. And he's like, yeah, but I want some brown ale. Which he, which also he hates because yeah. we see him later drinking it. And he's he takes like, one Wah. drink and he's like, Wah. And I, I enjoy the bit that, so he sends, he says, I want a quart of beer. And so he sends Barrett out. Barrett comes back with six quarts of brown ale. So I wonder if Barrett knows that he doesn't like brown ale and knew mm. that this was a ploy on his part. And so rather than just buy one, he's like, well, fuck it. I'll get him six. <laughs> so he'll have to drink it eventually. It's very possible. <laughs> Uh, he also knows, I think, that Tony is an alcoholic. So I think yes. that's why he's like, if there's beer in the house, he's going to drink he's it. He's going to drink it and he's not going to like it. So here is the mo- here's the later scene in the stairwell. And I know it's a lot of clips in a row, but I think this is important to kind of figure out where the- how the movie changes. Well, that's my fault for just fucking talking, isn't it? Fuck you. <laughs> kind of. But yeah. I like when you talk, Jason. Otherwise, Aww. I wouldn't have you on this podcast. You are such a sweetheart. And so I this is. Thank you for your concern. You're welcome. This is their little stairwell game, and then it takes a fucking turn. What do you mean? That's a perfectly fair point. What about the other night? You did about six of them like that. There's no reason to take advantage of the fact that you're sitting in the best position. My dear, you ought to be able to play the game according to the rules. My dear Barrett, you're just a little upset because you're losing the game. Oh, take your foot. Take it yourself. Oh! Oh, What's the matter? I'm going. I couldn't have heard. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. I'm not staying here. I'm not staying here in a place where they just chuck balls in your face. Oh, don't be a fool. Oh, come on, let's have a drop of brandy. Tell you what we'll do, we'll call that game a draw. Now, here why, isn't that fair? Push your brandy. Don't talk to me like Push that. Push you and your brandy. Go back to your call it, leave me alone for Pete's sake. Now, look, Barry, don't you forget your place. You're nothing but a servant in this house. A servant? I'm nobody's servant. Who'll furnish the old place for you? Who painted it for you? Who does the cooking? Who washes your pants? Who cleans the bathhouse after you? I do! Around the old bloody place where I get out of it! Nothing! Now listen, Barrett, look. I know all about you, sir. No, look, listen, I am grateful, honestly. Yeah, no, honestly, it. don't be daft. You know I am. Yeah, I believe you. You know, I, I don't know what I'd do without you. Well, go and pour me a glass of brandy. Well, that's what I suggested in the first place. But don't just stand there. Go and do it. So not only do we have, um, like, the, the spiritual transformation of that scene, of their kind of positions of power, in, in, in the scene it is physical because they are playing this stupid game on the stairs. 
and Tony's on the on the high end of the stairs, and Barrett's on the low end of the stairs. And after he gets hit in the face and everything, they switch positions. Yep. And then in that scene, once they've switched positions, their attitudes change. Barrett becomes much more aggressive, and Tony becomes much more submissive. And to the point where, and and through the, for the rest of the scene, Barrett's head is always higher than Tony's head. Always, always. And of course, as it ends with him, like I do get the brandy, and he's like, "No, you go get the brandy." What I'd say, go get the brandy, and it's like, "Well, he's the he's the manservant. That's his job." Yeah. Also, Tony's voice cracks in yeah. that scene when he when he says something to Barrett, which is like, you know, interpreted as a sign of like, "Oh, he's breaking down a little bit." Also, you notice that Barrett, when he starts to turn to this, like <laughs> when he turns heel, no, yeah. when he starts to get um, the dynamic changes, his hair is unkempt. His shirts are kind of sticking out. He smokes openly in front of him. Like he before he would like go into his little yes. room and have a cigarette, yes, kind of like Anthony Hopkins would in Remains of the Day. Yeah. But in this, but at this point, he's just smoking out in openly front of him, smoking, openly smoking, complaining about the mess he's leaving right to his face. Yeah, again, the bad roommate situation where yeah. you got a real just asshole roommate. And maybe not that much of an asshole. I mean, it's right that it should be cleaned up, but also, the, I, I assume James Fox is still paying him. <laughs> yeah, for this abuse and giving him ro- and and a room to yeah, live. Yeah, yeah. Like he lives there. He lives there. He, he he he's fed and everything. Yeah. So I think Mr. Stevens from Remains of the Day would not take kindly to this servant. No. <laughs> These are two very different servants. Yeah. No, he'd be out on his ass pretty quick. Which I, I I it's interesting that we did two movies with the same kind of setup a little bit, um, so close together hmm. because they couldn't be any more different from no, each other. Absolutely. <laughs> um, it's interesting that you say. Uh, also, I wanted to note too, like you mentioned, um, this cool visual thing that happens during the stairwell scene, which I think is fucking chef's kiss, beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, they also kind of hinted that in the very first scene, mm. where you talked about he goes up to Tony when he's sleeping yeah. and says, "Like I'm here for the interview." He's towering over him. Yeah, and, and Tony just stays in that chair for a while as he wakes up, kind of as a consequence of his alcoholism, and the whole thing ultimately is kind of a consequence of his alcoholism. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the use of, like, cinematography in this movie mm. is fantastic. Yeah, it's a beautiful movie. It's all, all the, all the look of the movie, the cinematography, the lighting. Yeah. The lighting oh, yeah. is so dark. It's one of those movies that, where smoking looks fantastic, because it's such great black and white photography. It's dark, and it's light, and it's got the shadows. And... The shadows get so much more, like, yeah. jagged and sharp. I mean, you have that scene you talked about where James Fox is literally looking up, and all we see is is Dirk Bogard's shadow, yeah. which I can't imagine how long it took to film a scene like but that. In but in it, that says everything needs to be said. It doesn't exactly. It's, it's yeah. so well made. It's um, so well made. There's hardly any dialogue yeah. for a good three minutes in that scene. <laughs> yeah, because they're all pretty shocked. Um, I really like the style of this movie. Like I, I find this movie seems to be kind of a, like a mix of a modern, like almost American style of the time, contemporary, like where. Because how many British movies have we watched where people live in like a modern house? Yeah. You know, or a contemporary house, like a house that was built that was a modern era. And we've got this guy, he's like kind of a more modern dude. He's playing like American style music on his record player. But then we also have this old school British thing of the manservant mm-hmm. in this situation. And there's a real like class tug throughout this movie between the servant and the master. Well, yeah, it's a push and what and, that means. It's like a push and pull, right? Yeah. It's, it's like two different, and it's almost like, because this is 1963. Yeah. So this is a big year in terms of like, we're kind of transitioning, mm. and a lot of people were like, well, are we, a lot of, you know, people in, in England were like, well, are we losing something by losing this whole idea of like manners yeah. and, and, and loyalty and stuff? So this is kind of, 
I, I don't know. Would you say this movie is like a criticism on both ends? I think this movie is is a comment on the breakdown of the class system in some ways. And what do you uh, think? What do you think? Like Joseph Losey is like saying about that? Well, I mean, it's the the the. The relationship that there used to be between uh, servants and their uh, "quote unquote" betters is changing. That's not the case anymore. Like the 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 contemporary modern England of 1963 was a different place, and things were changing. And it didn't matter, you know, or it mattered less what your class was, you know, or where you came from. It was more about what you could do. Taking that kind of American, more American approach mm-hmm. to at least at least the white community of England at the time, and. Uh, yeah, this. Um, I, although you could also read this movie if you wanted to, and I don't think, I don't, I don't know Harold Pinter's politics, but I don't, I don't picture him as like a, a a person that was necessarily wistful for the old days. But you could read this movie as like a warning against the breakdown of the class system. Well, I will say, um, I don't, and and I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but Harold Pinter was a homosexual. Okay, so was Dirk Bogard. Yeah, Joseph Losey was bisexual. Nice, they all had. So some there's fun a lot parties. of, sir. There's, a, I, I'm just saying, there's a certain. Kind kind of energy in yeah. this movie and james fox i mean he's got that light blonde hair he's very fair looking um i interpreted a lot of subtext in this yeah movie. no there's absolutely subtext because they sound like an old married couple at, at numerous points yeah uh the kind of the the bickering and the arguing and it's clearly yeah there's clearly an undercurrent of a homosexual relationship there there may not be sex but that's how they're living and, it, and it's funny because it reminds it's like the hetero life mate relationship uh, that i used to have with justin when we lived together because my buddy justin and i lived together for like a decade yeah. Right, and we lived together in university, so we I know were, I shit in his bathroom. Yeah, exactly, we were basically like a married couple that didn't fuck, and that's on him because I was willing. Exactly, son you, of a bitch. You put it out there. I put it out there, and he just he rebuffed me, and he couldn't see it. And he tried. He squinted. <laughs> just didn't work. Love you, Justin. We love you, Justin. Um, well, it's interesting, and and the author of the book because this is based on a novella. Uh, called The Servant. Hmm. Uh, Robin uh, Moham, I'm hoping pronouncing that right, but he basically, he rented a house which actually came with its servant. Back in the day, you get a, it, it comes with a house. As you said, you mentioned <laughs> that when we talk about Remains of the Day. Yeah. So I guess there were actually houses that came with its servant. Yeah. Um, so this guy kind of unnerved Robin a little bit. He was kind of, he, he said he was gliding about almost invisibly. Yeah. Um, and he said one evening he went on a date with a lady. Uh, in fact, it was Mary Soames, the daughter of Winston Churchill. Huh. Uh, when he took her back and she asked for a drink, um, the fridge was right next to his manservant's room and the door was open. And when he glanced in, there was a naked teenage boy on the bed of his manservant's room and uh, Possibly underage. Hmm. His manservant said, I see you are admiring my young nephew, sir. Would you like me to send him up to you to say goodnight? <laughs> uh, Moham simply pretended he didn't hear him and walked away. <laughs> so that whole thing with um, with Vera, while it's not quite the same, uh, kind of inspired him to put it in the book. Yeah. Um, yeah, because in the book, Barrett brings in a woman that he says is his niece. In the movie, they change it to a sister, which yeah. I think is interesting. I think maybe they do that so that she doesn't seem as young. Yeah, I was going to say, or or the yeah, or maybe Barrett's an older character, maybe in the book, or yeah, more likely Vera's just that much younger. <laughs> yeah, it does make it it does make it more unnerving because at first you don't 
really know if they're telling the truth about them being brother and yeah, sister. Yeah, it seems like there's something fishy at that point because that's the because if you remember the first time we actually hear Vera talk is when he's in a phone booth. He goes to a phone booth somewhere away and he has some ladies outside knocking on the door because they want to use it. Yeah. And so anyways, he's talking to them or whatever and he talks to Vera. And then when he comes out, he says, so back, he says, back, back off, off, you stupid bitch. bitch. And, and bitch is sort of overridden by the sound of a car going by. But he clearly says bitch, which must have been scandalous in 1963. But, yeah. but it also revealed a bit about his character. Okay, this guy's a little more aggressive than we thought he was. You know, we called this random lady a bitch for you know just for tapping on the glass. Yeah, come on, Barrett, <laughs> Jesus. So yeah, he basically said like he feels like in his own experience, this manservant may have been trying to almost be like Barrett, may have been trying to to kind of trap him into like what if he had said yes, send him up, and had this like unholy thing with this quote unquote nephew. I mean, the servant would have something above his head the whole yeah. time. You know what I mean? Exactly. So I think. I mean, that's the idea I get with Vera too in the movie is that he constantly he knows about their thing, so he's holding it over his head. Like I, I, I'm just gonna tell he's he's a is a guy with connections. Be like, I'm just gonna tell everyone that you had this sordid affair. I guess that makes sense in the book if she was even younger too, because it could probably be even more scandalous then. Yeah, and more likely that he would kowtow to their to his demands to keep that secret. Yeah, exactly. Um, I do like also, we talked about Barrett and Vera are clearly the villains in this film, but they don't necessarily make Tony squeaky clean. No. He is, I mean, I think he's nicer to him than Susan is, but he makes like, there's one scene in particular I can think of, and it's when, obviously Barrett is lying, but it's when he asks for a day off so that he and Vera can see their like dying mother yeah and uh he says you know i can prepare a cold meal in time for tomorrow and tony is like but i wanted a hot yeah, meal exactly like that, it's very like petty oh that entitled fucking aristocrat attitude of like but i wanted a hot meal yeah so he's very like and you know you don't really feel good about him that he had this affair with vera you know seduce seduce or not seduce he well, still chose to go with it and certainly with 2020 eyes the idea of fucking an employee is is certainly inappropriate yeah yeah, yeah. there's that too um i mean she was asking he was asking for it she came into the kitchen and got up on the table oh Wesson, i'll try her something jimmy <laughs> she was uh she was rare to go Dirty Jimmy Stewart. Oh, no. That would be a- <laughs> oh, he just finished everywhere. Jimmy. You know what I, you know what I say when, uh, you know what I say when my, my penis gets erect? Uh, what's that, Jimmy? Fievel goes west. <laughs> you really loved being that, on that movie, didn't That's you? That's horrible, Jimmy. <laughs> oh, I gotta go. My, my penis always curves to the west. It's always pointing to the west, no matter where I am. When oh. I'm pointing to the east. Boy, does it hurt. Oh, Nicholas, it's good to see you again, buddy. <laughs> ah, get out of here, guys. Bye. But yeah, so, again, yeah, again I, I think they make Tony's character a little bit gray. They yes. don't make him necessarily... Uh, no, he's, he's a shitty fucking aristocrat. Everybody's shitty. Even Susan. Movie. Yeah. Because like, you feel bad for but Susan. She, but, she's, but she's so suspicious right into the gate with, with not a whole lot of reason, I would say, other than the slight undermining of her. I but, mean... But I think she's she, right in the end. I think she just picks up on it. And then, of course, it, it gets weirdly weird at the end of the movie because when she goes to try to retrieve or to see what's up with Tony, Tony's hammered on the floor... And barely responsive, and fucking uh, Barrett makes a move on her. He fucking grabs her, and they start making out for a minute. I I was a little bit confused at that point. Yeah, because because she seems kind of like I think she tries it. I think she's almost like curious about it for a second. Yeah, does it, and then is like, oh no, that's fucking. There's nothing there because you can see she makes her, makes her move towards him. Is it? Do you think? Do you think at first 
she does it to make Tony upset because he cheated on her? I think there's that probably could be part of it. I, I wonder if part of it is that she is just curious what about Barrett has put Tony under the spell. Maybe it's like a curiosity of like maybe I should kiss this guy to see if there's something there. Yeah, it's such you a know? it's such a weird it's such a, well yeah. it's very interesting the way they they shoot it. Um, and you can tell like the moment you know that this is not something she's real keen on doing is that as she's kissing him, her eyes dart like the exact yeah. opposite way, and that's when you yeah. And it's like I mean, almost immediately you're like, okay, she's done with this. Like, <laughs> and, and I mean he. I mean, he sexually assaults yeah, her. Yeah, he sexually assaults her and kind of keeps her. She manages to get away, though, and, and takes off. Uh, uh, and this movie ends so dark. Yeah. Like, this guy is basically... Tony has basically turned into a prisoner in his own home. Yeah. And Barrett and Vera are running the place. It's actually kind of like the end of uh, the Hannibal novel. Okay. Where um, fucking... Clarice and and Hannibal are together and it's because Hannibal has just been drugging Clarice and keeping her in a stupor and the novel ends with with her in a fucking drunken stupor dancing with Hannibal on the on the balcony of this like home in Italy. It's a fucked up ending to a Holy book. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> so he just keeps her constantly yeah. drugged? Absolutely. Do, do, is there a follow-up book to that? I, I don't know. I haven't I haven't kept up with Thomas Harris's output. I'm but, really uh, glad they didn't put that in the movie. Yeah, no, the the movie the Hannibal the movie ends with a scene that's actually in the middle of the book where he's on the airplane and he offers the kid what is clearly like somebody's brain and the kid's like oh that's real good that's horrible I yeah. would not, I don't want that to happen to Clarice no I know it's terrible poor Clarice I do one thing I do I want to point out too um, just because we've seen Dirk Bogart in one other movie and it was Darling yeah um, there's another it's they had a similar weird sex party scene yeah but it was Lawrence Harvey conducting that yeah. one but I just thought that was a funny con- uh, coincidence I feel like if this movie were made today they'd all be like like fucking Barry to be handing out smack to all the girls and and keeping like yeah keeping uh, Tony all doped up on heroin or something. And he'd like, be wearing a big hat with a feather in it. Probably yeah. yeah. Be watching a baby crawling across the ceiling. That's some foreshadowing for a later movie. Hey, come <laughs> next week. We don't know. No, I won't be. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to watch that movie again. And it's been uh, over a decade. One one okay. So I do want to play another quick series of clips. Because there's also a song that plays throughout the whole movie, and it's a song by a musician named Cleo Lane, and the song is called All Gone. And you hear it repeat itself throughout the movie. But every time you hear it repeat itself, depending on where it is in the movie, it is the arrangement of it is different. Yeah. And I do, I do want to play a few uh, appearances by it. I like the idea that he has a record that is just like ten different arrangements of the same song. No, I don't think... I don't think See, I think it's a weird <laughs> thing where it's like I don't think he's playing it differently. I think yeah. it's it's diegetic, it, yeah, yeah. but it's diegetic means coming from D- the diegetic scene, means right? it's in the scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but it's also in a way non-diegetic. Yeah, because by it's, the way, because it's, it's changed. changing. You're, you're, yeah. So what you're saying is that the record itself is not changed, but his perception of it is. Right. Yeah. So let's listen to just the first time we. Hear I, it. I still would rather think that he has like a ten a ten track remix of this uh, uh, of this song, like like um, uh, Electric Avenue. You can get an album with like 13 different versions of Electric Avenue. I know that's what you want to think, Jason. We're going to rock down to Electric Avenue and then we'll take take it it higher. higher. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Eddie Grant. But we're going to listen. I just want to play. uh, Out in the street, there is violence. Jesus Christ, scare the shit out of me. (laughs) I just want to play the three instances of this. So the first one is when he's just, it's Tony and Susan. Nothing bad has happened yet. Now, while I love you alone Now, 
while I love you Can't love without you Must love without you alone So it's very beautiful, very, very uh, nice song, emotional, romantic. Then we get it play again later, and it plays many times through the film. These are yes. just three examples, but this is the when it plays later, and this is shortly after they discover that, um, or this is in the scene where they discover that Barrett and Vera are not brother and sister, and they yeah. catch them in the act. Give me my breath, my mouth, how can I bear the ghost of you here? Can't love without you, must love without you. Now, while I love you alone, now, while I love you alone. So it slows down a little bit. It's a little, it's almost the same, it seems like a little jazzier. Yeah, a little extra it, horn, a little harder bass. Yeah, and then. We get the final moment here, so you'll hear obviously some dialogue as well because this is where Tony kind of just before Tony has his freak out and tells everyone to leave. So yeah. it's during that whole harem scene, and then it really fucking changes. It's haunting. It is. It, and what I like about it is how it's because I think the the dual impression is is that you're it's supposed to be in the like back of the room is where the record player is playing. So we hear this echo that we haven't heard before. Mm-hmm. Like like you know it's a little further off, but because uh, Tony is so drunk, it's almost like you're hearing it through his drunken haze. Like there's like a it's almost like underwater. Like it's being filtered through it. And then as he's lying on the floor and everybody's kind of staring at him and laughing, you, uh, the the lyrics are going like. Let it go, it's all gone. Let it go, it's all gone. Yeah. Like, and he's just it's kind of hammering it home in him, and then he just finally snaps and breaks everything, and that's it, everybody out. Yeah. Yeah. This movie has so many layers oh, to yeah. it. Yeah. Like, I was, I, this is, I think this is the most, like, of going in, Going into one of these movies not knowing anything, mm. I think this is the most I've been blown away. Yeah, this is one. This this one's a real onion of uh, layers that we've peeled back uh, compared to some. Of, I mean, uh, we've certainly watched some some in depth and complex movies, but there's just something about this one. It's a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I just have another uh, another note here that like yeah, Barrett at the beginning he seems fine, but there's little clues here and there. Like even even the moment where Tony walks in when when it's snow, which is the fakest snow I've ever seen, but I mean, give it a break. It's 1963. Um, when he walks in from the snow and his feet are cold, hmm. Barrett brings him the water thing, but he doesn't ask. 
Yeah. Which is fine, like whatever, but it's just a little foreshadowing that he might start doing things without being asked or or without being told. I mean, and, and you could read that too as like Barrett trying to be good at his job because you, there's a couple times where it's clear that, that Tony expects him early on to have things without asking, like where he's like, uh, well, what about, uh, I'd like a beer. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to get it. He's like, well, then get it. <laughs> yeah. You know, like... Uh, he's he's a servant, and like Anthony Hopkins' character in Remains of the Day would be that servant who would have the base in there because that would be what was expected of him. Um, and Barrett does these other little things too. Like uh, he interrupts when Tony and Susan are about to make love. Now, yes. is that intentional? Because he tells them we do see him knock, but I mean, it's like what? And then he like the pushes smallest open. little knock, and then pushes the door open. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think he's knows fully well what he's doing at that point. But the other thing too, is when, after Susan is clearly made her point of the fact that she doesn't care for him, hmm. uh, she, he, he tells her, um, be, uh, it's, it, the, the weather forecast, it doesn't look too good for yeah. someone for, for you dressed like that or something like yeah. that. And then just kind of pushes her out the door and I'm yeah. like, okay, so that's him being a dick, but it's also like, yeah, if you keep doing what you're doing, it's not going to end well for you either. Hmm. Like threatening, right? Yeah. And that's just before we see him go to the phone booth and call a bunch of girls bitches. Yeah. So we know something's up. Um, the thing with him and Vera too, with Barrett and Vera, how we don't know they're related. Do you notice that one of the first things between them is they're in the car and yeah. she puts her hand on his leg? Yeah, okay. And I'm like, okay, well, it could be just a weird, <laughs> it could be yeah. just a weird 1960s. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, it's friendly. She was kind of leaning over to look out the window, so I didn't think too much of it. Yeah. But then we have a scene where I'm pretty sure, Jason, yeah. it's implied that he goes down on her. Yeah, it's, uh, either that or he's just rubbing his junk against her. I don't know because. <laughs> She sits up on the counter, yes, and her legs open up, and she yeah. she leans back, leans back the... with her cigarette in her mouth. He takes the cigarette out. We see his head kind of dip down a little bit, yeah, and then we just see her re- her ecstasy reaction. Also, the the other thing that makes me think that that's what he did is just before he does it, he wipes his mouth <laughs> with his glove. Damn, I mean, yeah. this is. 1963, yeah, you had to be so careful. Oh, yeah, the censors would, yeah, it had to have been just the censors not even, like, registering it. But this is so close to, like, the turning point, right? Cause, yeah. yeah. Take a movie like Easy Rider. That was 1969, and yeah. that movie is rated R. Yeah. Like, there's no doubt about it. Um, and I, so I don't, and I don't even think that was one of the first ones. Yeah. So, I mean, I think mid to late also, 60s. I, I think the Brits were always a little more, more uptight, especially at that time. But uh, I think... Yeah. Sex, maybe. But I mean, then again, we've seen lots of tits in British films. So. I mean, what. Women in Love was. Oh, I guess that was 1969. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that was. All that bets was, were off. Women in Love was a was an R rated film. Yes. For sure. D- um, Dongs a Plenty. Dongs a Plenty was the original title, yes. <laughs> I, I do actually. Uh, I do want to play the seduction scene because you mentioned mm. it's a great. Uh, it, it's it's kind of visual, but I think you get the idea just with the lack of music, the tap the tap dripping. Yes. But you said represents his dick with the the semen uh, making its way to the surface. Yeah. The the, the pre cum. Yeah. Uh, you you. I wanted you to say it, not me. Yeah. We're gross. <laughs> what are we gonna do? Um. And just her and her eyes dart around a lot mm. too, which I think was uh really. F- I thought it was kind of funny because yeah. I was like, oh, she's being like very overt. Yeah. That's her. That's her. Her being coy. <laughs> yeah. She's Overtly be- coy. She's beautiful too. Oh yeah, absolutely. So let's take a listen to the. Uh, as, as I said to my wife, I'm like, she's very pretty. I wonder if she's still alive. <laughs> Sarah Miles. Well, we'll find out after this clip. That's a good. That's a good cliffhanger, uh, right? Nice. Well, I, I was just going to bed, and 
I thought I heard a noise. But you went to Manchester. I, I didn't feel too well at the station, so he, he sent me back in a taxi. He sent you back? Oh, yes. How do you feel now? Oh, I feel a bit better. Would, would, shall I get you a glass of water? I'm glad it was you. I thought it might have been him coming back. So, um, the cliffhanger is over. Sarah Miles is 78 years old and she's hey, still alive. Good job. I like how you say, hey. And I was like, 70 years old and dead. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's still living and she wrote a book called A Right Royal Bastard, which I think is funny. Sounds fun. That could be a good read. <laughs> My Affair with Prince Charles, A Right Royal Bastard. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I love that. That's a great scene too. Um, and, and James Fox is kind of, he's a pushover. And... This is the thing, though. Okay, I want to go back to the thing about the class, the comment on the class system again, just for a second, because you said it might be like a. We kind of said it might be a mix of both. Um, it is funny how Susan is the one who is adhering to everything and kind of seems to be the only one that knows what's going on. Yeah. And James Fox's downfall is the fact that he kind of treats Barrett like a real person. Yeah. So it's a weird. It's interesting, like. Uh, that's why I was wondering, like, is it, yeah. this movie could be read as an indictment of, like, the end of the class system. Like, if you if you start to get too familiar with your servants, they're going to take over your shit and leave you as a drunken pile. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to manipulate you. But I don't think that's what they were going for. <laughs> what about that? There's a sex scene on a chair mm. implied. There's an implied sex scene on a chair. Yeah. I even thought that was provocative for, yeah. for the time. Well, for, certainly for the time. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was something. But I'm glad everybody's having fun. This movie is horny. Yeah, it's very horny. It's it's a 63 horny. Um, I I mean, you mentioned the mirror. The mirror yeah. is like um, I I know this sounds so fucking this is a character, but yeah. the mirror is kind of a character. The yes. mirror is like a huge part of this movie. We always yeah. see things like distorted. Whoever's in the background is always just like looming there. Like mm. it's all it's almost always Barrett too. Yeah. I think. And so you always get this sense of, like, he's controlling stuff in this the background. This un- sense of unease from the distorted perspective of Barrett in the yeah. mirror. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of kind of modern psychological thrillers took something from this movie because the techniques involved... They would be wise to. Are, ...is stuff that looks familiar mm. to me. Mm. Um, and then, of course, the other technical things I know notice is... You, you said he's always Barrett standing over him. Yeah. Uh, in in later scenes, he also kind of always throughout the whole movie kind of dominates the frame. Yeah, like he's always like the dominant, the more like takes up more of the frame for the most part. Well, and he's doing that in Tony's life too, because yeah. at least as far as Susan's concerned, because he's always kind of she's like he's always there, he's always just kind of there and in the way, or, or you know, like he's just he's such a presence. Yeah, and and, and also. I wanted to mention too because we did. Uh, I did mention back at the beginning. Um, Tony is wearing like a lighter coat, mm. and Barrett's obviously like jet black hair, dark suit. Tony's got a darker suit at the end of the movie, yeah. which I think is interesting. So it's not like he's become like evil or no. whatever, but it's like he's kind of he's under his control. Yeah, it's like they have very similar looks, other than the hair. Yeah, imagine I'm, if he just showed up with jet black hair too. <laughs> yeah, I, and 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 like Barrett what? told me to do it. He said I'd look. It, it said I'd look sheen. <laughs> and Barrett, by the end of the movie, is basically just dressed like Hugh Hefner. 
He's wearing like a robe and it's just like all very casual. Oh yeah, and like I said, his hair is a mess. Like he yeah. doesn't give a fuck um, how he looks because he's got so much more control now. He guilts Tony yeah. a number of times. Um, okay, and there's a scene later that I have to ask you about too because um, as we get up to the end of the film, we have Vera coming back. Barrett pretends that he doesn't want her there. He like shoves her around and stuff, which I I actually bought into a little bit mm. myself. Um, and then she tells Tony that she had to go to the hospital. Yeah, is she saying that she was pregnant? That's what I was wondering. Yeah, okay. that if there if there was going to be a pregnancy thing come into this, but it didn't it didn't go that route, or they didn't. Maybe they were setting it up and it never had to pay off. I mean, I don't think she was actually pregnant. Yeah, um, no. but she does ask him for money. Yeah, and then she said she went to the hospital. Yeah. I, th- I think it was part of her manipulation tactic to maybe get some cash out of him. Yeah, I, I was wondering. I, I, yeah, I was thinking though in that scene, I was like, oh, she had a child, or or she's saying she had a child, or maybe she's saying she has to get rid of the child. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That might be. I, I feel like that might be the implication that she needs some money to deal with a child that she doesn't. It's funny. Have. Yeah. yeah, two years, two two weeks in a row with yeah. that thing coming up. A lot more prominently last week. Yeah. but I think it's. I think it's under the surface here. Yeah. What, you got you got some you got anything else you want to talk about some bits and bobs bits and bobs Jason's bits and bobs I enjoyed in the very beginning of the movie there was a credit that said people in restaurant and Harold Pinter was among them yeah and the dude from Clockwork Orange as yeah. the preacher like you said uh, when we first see Barrett he walks out of Thomas Crapper's sanitary yes. engineers yes I that too <laughs> I don't know why he's leaving the toilet store, but wait, is it is it Thomas Crapper what? Sanitary engineers. Oh, that has to be that has to be thrown in as a joke. No, because Thomas there I I believe Thomas Crapper was a real person oh, who shit. was involved in, in the sanitation. Was that his Christian name? Yeah. Well, I mean his Christian name is Thomas, but yes. I mean, was that his real last yeah, name? Yeah. 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 <laughs> You're kinda limited in occupation possibilities with that name. Yeah. Uh yeah, they were fucking on newspapers, uh, Tony and uh, Susan. Oh, at the, be- was, at the beginning, yeah, in, in the house under construction. I'm like, oh, that's romantic. One sec. Oh. Well, it's, I mean, it's not much different from my setup at my, the I th- first I th- place I moved to in Fredericton. I thought the workmen were a bit shady. They, yeah. they were like, hmm, I thought, oh, are they going to figure into this? But they never did. I thought they were just put off by Barrett. It could have been, yeah. I think that was part of it. He said, but what did he say? He's like, if you can't do the work, let me know if there's any problems because I want the work to be done right. Yeah, and even then you get a sense of like, well, Barrett's kind of being a dick to these people. Mm. <laughs> I guess they're technically beneath him, but still. Uh, yeah, and, and at some point they're smoking on the floor, and I thought uh, uh, Tony and Susan, and uh, well, Tony's on the floor smoking, Susan's on the couch smoking, and I thought, man, he must be really drunk, because then the only times I could ever think of my life that I would have smoked on the floor is when I was drunk. Yeah, it's like that's like uh, David Hasselhoff eating a burger levels of drunk. Ah, uh, yeah, pretty close. Uh, at one point, Susan says, you need to restrict him to quarters. And I thought, what are they, in the fucking Navy? <laughs> like, you're going rest- to put him in the brig? Like, yeah. is he being impudent? You know what I just noticed? Or you know what I just realized? That little room where Vera is staying, hmm. we always see the door through the railing, yeah. and it looks like jail bars. Huh. Like, bar- like, uh, like cell bars. Oh, yeah. But it's... But I'm not, I'm not sure what that's trying to say, because I mean, it's, she's it's not... not in- really imprisoned well, i maybe, guess maybe she is maybe she's imprisoned by the class system yeah well that yeah absolutely and they're trying to break out that dude i'm not even joking i think you just nailed something um, we did it we solved it we solved it uh at one point on the phone he, had, he says are you being a good girl and that made me creeped out a little bit because i didn't know what the situation was when it was like oh it's a sister okay it's still kind of weird to say 
And then it's like, oh, it's his fiance. Okay, it's still it's less weird, but still a little bit weird. But now you can't kink shame. No, I certainly wouldn't kink shame. Uh, we have those priests that show up. That I forget. I mean, what was the what were they trying to say? Because we saw I, them originally. I think I'm not entirely sure. I don't remember the exact conversations that were that was in that restaurant. But that was an interesting scene to me because we. We had Tony and Susan talking about going on a holiday. Yes. And then at the same time, you could hear the other conversations, but they, were, they weren't really that important. No. But I think it was almost to contrast with the scenes with Barrett and Vera arriving. Mm. Yeah. So it was almost like, listen to all this. I think that was a critique of the class system too, like the, the old school. Listen to these people having these mindless conversations. Yeah. Well, because then later we see the young, one of the younger priests in the bar going, Oh, you've had a bad luck today. Oh, such bad luck. Like, like he's putting it out there trying to get somebody to take the bait to ask him his story and nobody takes it. Nobody takes it. And then he just leaves. <laughs> and then he just fucking leaves. Yeah. By the way, those people still exist and they're on Facebook and I hate all yeah, of them. Yeah, no, the vague bookers, yeah. He, so wait, what you're saying is he is the 1960s vague booker. Yeah, he was a pioneer in vague booking, absolutely. That's amazing. Um, let's see here. Pioneer. Actually, and, and the priest, the, the older priest and the younger priest reminded me of Father Jack and Father Dougal from uh, Father Ted. Okay. Uh, I don't know why. Just because an older priest and younger priest and the younger priest seem kind of dumb. <laughs> the older priest seem kind of grumpy. <laughs> Father Ted, by the way, Graham Linehan, you're a piece of shit, but you're a very talented comedic writer, and that's a very funny show. So I, I half-heartedly recommend it. And the IT crowd. And the IT crowd, also very funny. And you're still a piece of shit, Graham Linehan. Watch it, watch it for Richard Iotti and yeah. uh, what's the other dude's Chris, name? Um, I have him on my Twitter, too. Chris, uh, Chris O... Chris O'Dowd. That's Chris it. O'Dowd. Chris O'Dowd. Yeah. Uh, and he's see. found mainstream success too, so that's oh, awesome. Yes. He's been he was in Bridesmaids as well. And uh, Get Shorty. Chris O'Dowd. Yeah, he's the main he's the main role in in the TV Get Shorty series. Oh, TV yeah. series. Okay. Yeah, obviously. I Come was on. like, how old is he then? <laughs> uh, their friends don't know what a poncho is, which made me laugh. So, was that were they were they casually racist? I assume so because they're British. Because they said something. Yeah. Well, they said something about like a poncho being someone from Mexico or something. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than being. Well, I mean, it's a. Yeah. And they were like, no, no, it's. it's, Yeah. It's something you wear. And then the principal from Animal House is like, what? What? Maybe he thought it was a slur for a Mexican. (laughs) Now you're on double secret probation. (laughs) Yeah. I thought the. Oh, no. The servant is defiling the bathroom by using it. But then they get in there and say, who told you you could use the bathroom? And then they start fucking around in there. Yeah. And oh, the really, s- really dirty it then. Oh, Barrett and Vera. Yeah, yeah, they get it on in that bathroom. And then we see her bare back, by the way, mm-hmm. which I thought was provocative. We see her back. We see her legs. We see her feet. We see almost all of her, except the good parts. They f- <laughs> what, you seeing her back and her legs are not nice? <laughs> no, <Nah>, fuck them. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed that they bail on their hosts, uh, Tony and Susan, to go fuck. Yeah. Because I get it. I get it. You're stuck with people you, you don't really want to be with, and you're just like, let's get out of here and have sex. I have a... <laughs> this is a toxic relationship, noted at one point. Between? Uh, between uh, uh, Tony and Barrett. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and at the end of the movie, the well, I guess the one last thing that, that stands out to me is when uh, Susan shows up and Barrett's looking at her, he walks up to her, and he takes a puff off a cigarette, and he just full-on... Blows it in her face. Like, just the most asshole fucking, 
Like, I don't think anybody's ever blown smoke in my face like that. And I'm not a violent guy, but I might punch them if they did that. Yeah, that's a <laughs> shit bird thing to do. Yeah. Oh, I, I've, accident, I've certainly accidentally blown smoke in people's faces before. Yeah. But uh, never like that. That's a fucking aggressive move. And also, um, and then she she thwacks him with a shoe on her way out too. Yeah, well, he gives deserved. him a little gives him a little. No, I'm not saying not deserved. Uh, she gives him a little wound, a little slap. Yeah, but then but then she um, hits him real good. Hits him hits him pretty hard. Yeah, yeah, and then she she basically like collapses in tears outside. Yeah. It was interesting. Yeah. Bit of a downer. A little bit. It was, it was a lot more of a downer than I expected. I also didn't. I also forgot for a moment that um, we're past. We're just, just past the era where movies can have a lot, ha, can have sad endings a lot more. Because mm-hmm. you look at like the anything from like the start of film to like the fifties. Hardly, you'll hardly ever get not a happy ending unless it's a historical piece. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's that's pretty much what I have, Brendan. Those are your bits and bobs. Those are my bits and bits and bobs. Okay. Well. So what do, you, what do you think, like, as a genre? Do you think it's psychological thriller? I think, yeah. I think it has to be, yeah. I, I'd, I, would almost, I would almost say horror. Like, this is a movie that it would be interesting to see maybe a Hitchcock take on the script. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. it would be fantastic. I don't, yeah, know that, I don't know that it would have been quite as subtle, but I... I uh, no, but I think the, I think the, twi- the twist would have been revealed earlier. Because yeah, he did like to do that. Yeah. He did like to kind of give that away so that people aren't just playing the whodunit game. Yeah, all exactly. Time. Um, this this movie um, does pretty well. It does pretty well. I don't have the exact numbers, hmm. but it did well. Um, it does not go to the Oscars, but it is nominated and wins a few BAFTAs. Uh, it's nominated for Best Actress for Sarah Miles, who uh, plays Vera. Yeah. Um, Rachel Roberts for This Sporting Life ends up winning. Nice. Yeah, which we talked about that movie. <laughs> Best British Film, won by Tom Jones. Best Film, won by Tom Jones. Best Screenplay, won by Tom Jones. Uh, we'll talk about that movie at some point. It does win two, three, three BAFTAs. It wins Best Cinematography, which, of course... Deservedly. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, and it wins for Most Promising Newcomer, James Fox, because he was uh, he was new at the time. Uh, Wendy, Wendy Craig, uh, who plays Susan, was also nominated, actually. Mm. And it also wins Best Actor for Dirk Bogard. Nice. Which... Yes, good for he him. He couldn't be any more different yeah. in this movie than Darling. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have realized they were the same person unless you told me. Like going from a guy who is relatively understanding, yeah, bit of a bit of an asshole at the end of Darling, yeah, to a manipulative psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely uh, a big shift in in tone, but uh, clearly he's a capable actor. So I will ask you then the question I always ask you. Jason, this is number 22 on the list, mm-hmm. Servant. Um, how do you feel about this movie? This movie was fantastic. Four. If you hadn't have like gleaned it from how we've been talking. Yeah. yeah. This movie was wonderful. This movie was a movie that I had no idea what it was about going in. And the whole time I was trying endlessly to figure out what was going on. And by the end of it, I was very satisfied. It was just, it was a really cool movie. And the great streak continues. Yeah. We've been very lucky. How do you feel about 22? Uh, it's probably I mean it, there's a good reason it's up that high uh, I might put it a little higher just because I really like the uh, cinematography of it the acting like it's just the whole the whole package Brendan is yeah. fantastically made like like clearly well thought out and, and, and effort was put into it and you gotta respect respect that and by the way as much as I don't think the other movie is bad or anything I would 
gladly kick off the go-between for this. Yeah. For the, that Joseph Losey movie for this one. Yeah, no, I, uh, go-between has its charms. I mean, we, we love Julie Christie, but yeah. like this is a fantastic movie in a way that movie just isn't. That movie, This movie held my interest in a way the go-between did not. Yeah, if we're going with directors only having like a one or two movies on this list, yeah. this is Joseph Losey's entry, 100%. Yeah, no question. I agree with you. This movie is... Um, this movie's fantastic. A movie I, did, I have never even heard of before last week. Never heard of. Um, like I said, I read the two-line description on on IMDb. Um, yeah, had no idea what to expect. So, yeah. and and I, honestly, again, I didn't hate the go-between, but when I saw that it was the director of the go-between, I was like, okay, well, all right. <laughs> so, yeah. um, exactly. You were like, okay, well, it'd be one of those pastoral fucking, you know, it'll, yeah. it'll look pretty at least. We got another one of those Julie Christie movies coming up. That's nearly three hours. Ooh. So just warn you ahead of time. <sighs> but Jason, that is the servant. Um, you got served. You we, did. we got served we by did. this wonderful movie. <laughs> we did. That goes on the back of the box. So yeah. rent it today at your local <laughs> Jumbo Video. That's right. Jumbo um, Video, Rogers Video, stop on by. So for the next three episodes, Jason, we're going to do something a little different. Um, we've done this before, but we have a little... I know you're aching to say it, so just wait. I'm going to set you up. Okay. We have a little uh, a little diatribe off the list, um, and it's called... Red Packs! So if you didn't hear that, Brit Picks. Brit Packs. Uh, so what that means is next week, I am going to pick a British film for us to talk about. The next week after that, Jason is going to pick one. And then for the third week, we're actually going to talk about a movie that just came out uh, earlier this year. I think so, Last yeah. year? Yeah. Late last year. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a Guy Ritchie film called The Gentleman. Mm. So we'll do that for a third week. But for next week, Jason, I haven't even told you what it's going to be. Snatch. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. All Guy Ritchie. No. <laughs> um, no. I am going to pick a very recent movie. This came out, I think, 2017. And it's one. And, well, I shouldn't give it away that it's wonderful, but it's wonderful. Yeah, I don't care. You like it, and I love it. It is the one of the few films to get a one hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It is called Paddington Two. Damn, I gotta watch Paddington One. <laughs> I mean, hey, the first Paddington, it's good. It's good. Is 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 very good. But you don't need to see it to watch Paddington Two. Wow, if if uh, if I end up using. Choosing the movie that I'm thinking I'm going to choose, it's going to be a very good contrast to I love this it. movie. <laughs> Do it. That's why I didn't go with my original pick. Yeah. I was... Uh, no, I'll save it because I might pick up one day. But it was going to be a very, very dark movie. And you know, after this, I wanted something a little lighter. Yeah. Well, so th- Thank you. You've given me an excuse to watch this movie because I heard nothing but good things about it. It's, it's wonderful. And we will talk all about Paddington 2 next week. Uh, if you're in Canada, you can watch this thing on Netflix. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. If you're in the States, uh, it's everywhere. It's a newer movie. You can rent it on Prime. You could probably get it at the gas station. Yeah. So go to your local gas station. Wear your mask. That's right. Pay your $5 in the bin, and you can have a copy of Paddington 2 on DVD. Or $8 on Blu-ray. That's right. But you can find us on social media. Uh, For Screen and Country, we are on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can find Jason on Twitter. At Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Stop by. Say hi. Let me know you're out there. Hit me up, peeps. Let him serve you up some tweets. That's right. Uh, some, some, some fat retweets. Some, P- some, PH? Some steaming tweets. Yeah, well, both. P- PH. Fat. F- oh, and, and some and PH. And some large. Some of them are, are very quite, yeah, the, some of them are quite bulbous, but. Uh, okay. 
Yeah. And and uh, like and you were saying like you were saying to me earlier Jason um the only one the only people you don't retweet are the causes of all the problems in the world Antifa, right? Yeah. No, okay, I, okay. I I've uh, blocked the leader of Antifa from my Twitter account right. and uh, uh, that person and I uh, have nothing to do with each other. So follow, because, so follow as you know Brendan, I'm an advocate of fascism. So why would I want to talk to that guy? Exactly. And and also like obviously um if you see Jason on Twitter, he has a little hashtag K-A-G-A. That's him. That's yeah. Jason. Keep America great again. Yeah. Again. So think about that. Kaga. <laughs> I don't even like joking about that. Fuck that. <sighs> Fuck all that shit. Um, but it, that, that's it. So I just got to say to you, Jason, Paddington 2 next week. And I've also got to say to you, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for screen and country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Bye. Bye. Which is your favorite fox? Uh, and the hound. Ooh. You get a fast car. I want a ticket to anywhere. Maybe we make a deal. Maybe together we can get somewhere. Any place is better. Starting from zero, got nothing to lose. Maybe we'll make something. Me, myself, I got nothing to prove. Get a fast car. I got a plan to get us out of here. Been working at the convenience store. Managed to save just a little bit of money. Won't have to drive too far. Just cross the border and into the city. You and I can both get jobs. And finally see what it means to be living. See, my old man's got a problem. Yeah, but the bottle, that's the way it is He says his body's too old for working His body's too young to look like his My mama went off and left him She wanted more from life than he could give I said, somebody's got to take care of him so I quit school and that's what I did You got a fast car Is it fast enough so we can fly away? You gotta make a decision Leave tonight or live and die this way Hey, this is Liz. And this is Heather. And we are Nerdy Bitches Podcast. A show where two geeky ladies podcast their way through pop culture. From movies and TV to our regular book club and everything in between, we bring you our favorite fandoms with a feminine eye. We're talking Star Wars, Star Trek, Harry Potter, DC Marvel, comic books, and anime. And don't forget sci-fi, fantasy, action movies, video games, D&D, board games, and so much more. Be sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbeam, or wherever you find awesome podcast you can also find us hanging out on twitter facebook instagram pinterest and at nerdybitches.com talk to you soon